Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Kenzie from the I Love You So Much podcast. On my show, we talk about everything, lifestyle, business, finance, beauty, you name it. My favorite part about the show is the amazing guests that we bring on. We have everyone ranging from like business experts to influencers, CEOs, creative masterminds. It's so much fun. If you guys want to find me on Instagram, it's just at Kenzie Elizabeth. I release new episodes every Thursday, so hope to see you there. Welcome back to my weekly podcast, Taste of Taylor. I am Taylor and I'm so excited. Uh, Joining me today, you definitely have seen him in a movie or two. I was just watching a rerun of Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Oh, yeah. That's and a I was good like, one. It's a good one. <laughs> um, and like halfway through it, I was like, I feel like there's a twist. And then the <laughs> second I heard your voice, I was like, oh, I remember this one. It's the best, <laughs> best show ever. Um, you probably recognize his voice, ladies and ladies and like three gentlemen. Uh, Cal Penn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, boy. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I am so excited to talk to you. Same here. By the way, it's so funny you mentioned Law and Order because that was like the, I, I mean, who doesn't love a good Law and Order binge, especially oh. if you're hungover on the couch on a Sunday. The best. And the marathon's on. Uh, getting to do an episode, I was like, is it not going to be obvious that I'm the rapist? <laughs> like from the beginning. We're like, no, 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 that's how our show works. I was like, no, no, I get it. But the first two acts... I don't think I say anything. I'm just like the janitor. You're the janitor. Yeah. The janitor souping up. So uh, not that Twitter should ever be a barometer for anything, but I did enjoy in this case reading a lot of tweets that were like, he's obviously the fucking rapist. <laughs> it's the janitor. In the beginning, obviously Kumar is the rapist. I'm like yeah. I sure am. You know, I will say, so I, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I watch Law & Order every single day. So I'm like one of those people, I definitely have like major anxiety and probably ADHD, like undiagnosed, but I like, uh, the iPad has been a saving grace and also a curse because I fall asleep watching my iPad. Uh I can't have, I hate silence. Like the shower is like, like literal hell for me if I don't have my iPad with me in the bathroom. Okay, got it. So like when I'm like (laughs) doing errands around, like like doing chores around the apartment or like doing work, like prepping for a podcast, I can't have silence. So I always have to have something in the background, but it can't be distracting. And Housewives is too distracting. Yeah. So what I do is I I play on loop Law and Order Special Victims. Wow. Wow. You are a a rare breed. I feel like that would just... (laughs) It would get, it wouldn't give me anxiety. I would just get sucked in too much. I know. And then it's hours like, would go by. That's great though that you can do that. Wow. You know, people say like, what's your murder treat? Mine's like eating yeah. in bed and watching Law and Order Special Victim. Do you know like 100%. for 10 hours straight? <laughs> the fact that you said you could fall, you have to fall asleep with your iPad. Like it's that we have, most of us have the opposite problem. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this thing and then I'm perplexed why I can't fall asleep because I have the world at my fingertips and it's uh-huh. giving me anxiety. Uh-huh. But you have the opposite, which is great. Bring Just people getting murdered, you fall asleep. Yeah, little town to Mr. Ripley. It's on Netflix right now. Not yeah. mad at that. Um, okay. So, um, yes, I mean, you are an actor, a writer, but like then you end up as, I mean, an aide in the White House. 
to Obama. So you have lived quite the life. So we have lots to talk about. Also, you wrote a book uh, in 2021. It's called You Can't Be Serious. And it's coming out now, guys. It's a memoir. It's coming out now in paperback yep. August 9th. So it just came out. Um, so you guys can actually get your hands on it like the second you hear this podcast. Yeah. But it's very funny. But something that's pretty major is that... Um, with the release of the memoir in 2021, you also kind of simultaneously, you didn't come out to like the, your family and stuff, but you came out to the world, if you will, um, that you were in an 11, an 11 year relationship with a man, um, which of course, as we know, you're coming out as a gay person. So, um, but you were, you kind of identified as like late in life gay and I am a late in life lesbian. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a late in life podcast. Sure, it's, great. It's so interesting because I think when it comes to, I love coming out stories because it was single-handedly the most terrifying and like empowering thing I ever did in my life. Uh That's how I felt. I was working at Sirius XM Radio. I had to come out on the air. And so that for me was like, it was overwhelming. And, um, but like, it's something special that us queer people all share is like this idea of coming out because straight people, you don't have to be like mom, dad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I want sure. to have his penis in my vagina. You yeah, know, you never right, have right. to like really have right. a conversation. So it really is kind of like a, a, a very interesting thing. And it's a, you know, it's not everybody gets to experience it. And people who maybe are thinking about coming out, I, I just, I always, I, I just find the coming out story so um, bonding and also so inspiring for people. Uh-huh. Um, so I would love to talk about that with you at the, sure, like, just to kick yeah. everything off. Yeah, I, I uh, the way I preface sometimes when people ask me about this is is uh, the same way that I preface when they ask me how much weed I actually smoke in real life because of the Harold and Kumar movies. Can you actually and answer that question first the, for me? The, <laughs> yes, I will. And the, but but I have to the disclaimer I'm, I'm giving you for both is that both answers will disappoint you. Right. So you're the one who has to decide if you want me to answer those questions. <laughs> uh, the 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 Harold and Kumar story is obviously maybe even more disappointing because I, I I really what's my my stock answer is. Um, I've probably in my life smoked way less than uh, you want me to. Right. And so that's diplomatic. But then I don't I, I, I really like I'm not a stoner. And so <laughs> the other part of it is then people feel offended, which is a, a, really a testament to like the great writing of those films. John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, two fellow New Jerseyans yeah. uh, who wrote all three movies, because like the one thing you want as an actor is for people to believe you and believe everything you're doing. Right. Uh, and on the street still today, I mean, I live in New York City, so that accounts for some of it. But like I get I get offered like free weed on the street. And when I'm with friends, especially, you know, and and by the way, I'll always like very politely say no, because uh, half the time it's accompanied by like, yo, I live around the corner. You want to come back to my place? (laughs) Like I'm flattered, but you know, I actually don't know you back. Right. Like I can't go, (laughs) I can't go to your apartment. Uh, But then sometimes when I get, when I get offered it, I made the mistake early on of just declining and being honest and go, I really don't really smoke that much and whatever. Uh, And, uh, and people would get offended. And then my friends were like, you know, we smoke constantly. Like, why don't you just say yes and put it in your pocket and then just give it to us? I was like, oh, I guess that would be the polite thing to do all the way around, right? It's polite. Everybody like, wins, you know? It's Everybody like, wins. Your nobody, friend... needs to, right, yeah. nobody needs to know that, like, I want a beer instead. They, they don't have to know that. They don't need to know that I don't want to smoke it because it'll make me paranoid. Like, none of that. It's just all they want to know is they, you all did each other a solid. So, yeah. uh, so I learned... They just need to like be able to say, oh my God, I gave a joint to Cal Penn right, and like, right. and then they can <laughs> fill in the blanks, you know, let, let them have that story. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've, I, and the, the end result of that is now, now that I'm, you know, a, a little older and the, the last movie was almost eight, nine years ago, I guess it came out the third one. Uh, so people will ask, oh, do you, journalists especially, and I appreciate the angle that they come at this with, like, that's, do you still get called Kumar? Like, do people still yell profanity at you on the street because of those movies? And I'm like, yes, yes. And if that's your only job hazard, what are you complaining about? Thank like, you. Pe- that's so pe- refreshing to hear that, you know, because sometimes people take it so seriously. Like, you never know if, like, you're going to be like, oh, I loved you in, let's say, for argument's sake, Mark Paul Glossier, 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 yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, Zach 
Morris, Saved by the Bell. Now, he's done a lot since. But like, if yeah, that's yeah. what I just am in love with, it's not an insult that I don't think he's done anything since. No, it's that of I course. just connected with, you know, right. Zach Morris. My brother, sure. my little brother's name Zach for a reason. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's like, the, you're, sorry, your, your job hazard is people giving you love and weed on the street. That's your, Thank you. I've, had, I've had a lot of other jobs <laughs> that don't have that kind of a perk. Getting yelled at, right? It burns the whole thing. Like you, this is a this is a nice. So okay, so that's generally disappointing. Got a it. Disappointing, disappointing answer for a lot of people. Raise your hand if you have like the fondest memories of you and your Steve Madden's. My hand is raised straight to the sky. So Steve Madden, your favorite footwear brand for over thirty years. Guess what? They've launched apparel, and it is toots cutes. I'm telling you, they've got a full collection available to shop at stevemadden.com and it retails for under $140. I love that price point. You guys, they've got everything. We've talking dresses, jackets, jackets, coats, top shirts, bottoms, which is like jeans, pants, skirts. They've got everything. And this stuff is cute, you guys. Okay, so here's the thing. Right now, I'm verbally linking. This is a verbal link for you. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm getting from Steve Madden because there is no more favorite time of year for me to shop than fall shopping. And I like start to quote unquote back to school shop in August, even though I haven't been in school for a very long time, longer than I like to admit, I still like associate the end of summer with that like back to school vibe. My mom used to take me to all the stools at the mall. Oh, I died. I loved it. So I'm already starting to do my back to school shopping and I've got really cute stuff. You're going to want to get it before going to So my number one pick is the Alexandra jacket. Ooh, it's like a letterman jacket. Like if you were dating the captain of the football team, yeah, even though I'm a lesbian, I can still fantasize about being in high school and dating the captain of the football team. Honestly, just for the fashion. I just want the letterman jacket. Well, guess what? Now I don't have to deal with that pain because I can just get the jacket from stevemadden.com. And I love the white and black motto because that's like, those are my two favorite colors to wear, white and black, literally. Your girl is monochromatic. And then don't even get me started on the Elaine top. Oh, it's so cute. They've got it in black, hot pink and white. I have all three because I am obsessed. It's a crop top, but your girl loves a high-waisted pants. So I can just show the tiniest bit of skin and still feel comfortable. But it's like this like really feminine, tool, fun top. I mean, seriously, with all three of these, I, this, this is all I will be wearing on a night out. And of course, I'm hooking you up, okay? So if you use code TAYLOR20 at checkout, you're going to get 20% off your first purchase. So visit stevemadden.com. Don't forget to use my code TAYLOR, T-A-Y-L-O-R, 20 for 20% off your next purchase. And I'm just going to spell it out for you. I know you, you know how to spell it, but... S-T-E-V-E-M-A-D-D-E-N.com, stevemadden.com and use that promo code Taylor20 for 20% off your next purchase. And just FYI, the promo code excludes pre-order items. So keep that in mind. The truth of the figuring out, you know, sexuality relatively later in life. And there's, of course, no timeline on it, right? Like I'm right. obviously, uh, you, you meet kids who are like, I knew when I was nine. I was like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, good for you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when you were nine. Uh, this is going to sound jokey, but I'm actually, I'm not kidding. There's a lot of truth to this. If you're from an immigrant household, especially if you're from like a, an Asian American immigrant household of my parents' generation, which is post. So the backstory here is that post 1965, uh, immigration laws in the U S changed. And, uh, there was a shortage of doctors, engineers, pharmacists, people in these professions in America. So the reason that you see so many Asian Americans, East and South Asian alike, in fields like medicine, engineering, et cetera, is because we, the collective we, my parents' generation, were allowed to emigrate to the United States to fill that labor shortage. That's the only reason that we were allowed to come. A lot of people don't know that, including a lot of folks from within these communities, right? So there's like nothing in brown and yellow people's DNA that's like, we're good at science. It's (laughs) It's only because of who was allowed to come from these countries. It was people pursuing these fields, or in, in my dad's case, you know, he was pursuing a graduate degree in engineering uh, right outside New York City. My mom had a master's in chemistry. Like, that's why they were allowed to come here. So uh, so fast forward to your, your actual question. So in a lot of these communities, you know, if you've like rocked the boat so much and said, hey, guess what, mom and dad, I'm going to be an actor. And they're like, that is absolutely not why we sacrificed everything to come to America for our firstborn American son 
to be an actor. Like the way that just shakes up the entire community. Yes. Telling them you're gay is like whatever. <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> it's it's nothing compared to shattering the hopes and dreams of an entire immigrant community. Uh, and, and part of I think in my in my case, part of that uh, is you know I, I always lived. I grew up outside of New York City. My uh, dad worked in Manhattan for forty years. I think they were exposed to a lot more than other folks are are exposed to. And um, you know when the when the book came out, I, like you said, I talked about uh, my partner Josh in just one chapter. Uh, so he and I met uh, eleven years ago when I was working in Washington D.C. He's a very private person, doesn't yes. do anything in the arts, doesn't have a public facing career. So just like my parents and my brother, uh, like are very averse to anything public. So they've always come to my parents included, always come to my movie premieres, always come to work events where I can bring them. And they'll always like we'll ride together and they'll always you know hop out of the car and go through the side entrance. So like we'll get the popcorn, we'll meet you at the seats. So my partner, Josh, is the same way. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going with the parents like you do. I know you have to do a bunch of interviews and take pictures, and that's all part of selling a movie or selling a show, whatever. We love you for all the reasons, but we don't want any part of that. I'm like one picture. No, we don't want a picture together here. We can do that at home. So uh, so for that reason, in the book, I, I actually thought the way that Josh and I met, it's a, it's a very funny uh, first date gone wrong story where like it was a terrible first date. I definitely didn't think it was going to go anywhere. <laughs> Uh, it was about NASCAR and beers and just like, to me, a very, a very fun, weird, uh, just a fun, weird first date, similar to a lot of my parents' experiences when they first moved to America. So in both sets of stories, you know, I went to the parents and said, I'd like to tell these three stories because I think they're actually very funny. Uh, same thing with Josh. I was like, I'd love to tell the story about our first date. I think it's very funny how we bonded over camping, of all things. Uh, and they both said yes. And those are the only stories in this entire book that have no merit. Right. So the book is actually about how the subtext is about how systems can and do change. Yes. So the first half of the book is entertainment and Hollywood. And yes, it's funny, but like I tell stories about, uh, you know, my first real movie was this movie called Van Wilder with Ryan Reynolds. I know it well. I love it. Thank you. I loved it too. And Ryan's incredible. The, the name of the character I played in Taj Mahal, in Van Wilder is Taj Mahal. Yes, it is. Taj Mahal is the great. So like late 90s, early 2000s. That shit flew, like, which is crazy. Which is crazy. But also in, what's crazier is that the, the last, uh, the final round of the audition for that movie was me and a white guy in brown face. So like they were saying, no, I'm not kidding. They were deciding. But so like, so these are the stories that I tell in the book, A, because they're hilarious now, thankfully, using a 2022 lens, right? Yes. But we also, it wasn't that long ago. We're not talking like 100 years ago, right? Right. So to be able to learn from those stories. Anyway, so all the stories in the book I consider merit-based, except for like two stories about my parents and the chapter about Josh. So very naively, I was like, these are the chapters that are what editors call palate cleansers. You know, like you had some serious shit go down and then you had this funny chapter. <laughs> so I put it in the book, don't think anything of it, you know, because we'd been together 11 years, obviously right. friends and coworkers and everyone's met him and they've met my, my parents and family. Uh, and even I think the, there was um, uh, my, my 2012 uh, speech, I had the chance to uh, deliver a speech at the DNC um, about youth engagement and the importance of, of voting. And there was a line yeah. that I put in my script about how it's, it's very nice that we had a, a president who was cool with all of us getting gay married. Right. Um, and so just like using inclusive language that obviously includes me in that category of right. people, I very naively assumed that we were at a place as a society that maybe will exist in another 70 years, but clearly doesn't exist if you're a public figure now. Right. And I get that. I totally get that. And I am glad for it in a lot of ways. But so the book comes out and the, understandably, a lot of journalists are like the way that they posited the that chapter from the book, you would think it's like gay Cal Penn writes gay, gay book only about gay. <laughs> so, Literally. And so that's why they, I, I really welcome that question in these conversations, because the it's it's not that book. And I think there are so many people and especially so many leaders in the community who have shared their stories and their stories are dynamic and a lot of times painful and certainly necessary. My mm -hmm. friend, Chastin Buttigieg, his last, his, yeah. his book and his upbringing, I mean, the hilarious chapter about his show cows and how like he's in what Michigan taking his like cow through 4-H <laughs> to like be awarded. Right. And he and I talk about this. I'm like, dude, it's amazing that 
our experiences couldn't be more different. And then right. here we are writing these memoirs. And so, so a story like his is a story that I want to help lift up because I think there's a start to finish point of that. And that's right. a, a role that he's taken on. It's one that he's very effective at. And his experience definitely was defined by that uh, a lot more than I think um, mine was certainly in, in this particular book. But so, um, so yeah, the, the, the weed smoking story and the uh, son of immigrant story, sometimes just disappointing to people. So your coming out story was uh, coming out as an actor. That, that was, that was your coming out story. That was the bigger, <laughs> uh, completely honestly, that was the, so I'll set this up for you. I've never, this is in the audiobook in the book, but I haven't really, like, it's only uh, venues like this that I can actually talk about. So when you're scrolling through social media, how can you tell what's real? Misinformation can be dangerous, especially when it's related to your health. Anything can be posted online without being fact-checked. But if you heard about the secret to permanent weight loss, wouldn't you give it a follow? Yeah. Well, Tanya Zuckerbrot, founder of the trendy high-fiber F-factor diet, has celebrity followers including Megyn Kelly, supermodel Olivia Culpo, and Tanya has a nice house, a nice husband, nice vacations, a very aspirational lifestyle. But allegations of troubling side effects with the diet began to surface and people started to question, is she selling powder or power? Enter Emily Gallis, a popular fashion influencer. She saw these allegations and put the diet on blast on her own large social following. She launched a crusade to expose Tanya and the F-Factor diet. Emily thought bringing awareness to the claims would be enough, but that was just the beginning. What was once an online feud escalated into the real world, resulting in threats, lawsuits, and a whole lot of drama. From Wondery, the makers of Over My Dead Body and The Shrink Next Door, comes a new series about wealth, wellness, and influence. Host Casey Wilson guides us through the crazy feud, telling both sides of the story with a side of sarcasm. Listen to Fed Up on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify, or you can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. There used to be, in, in high school, uh, my parents were wonderful and their friends were wonderful, but same immigrant community, right? So they would, they would gather at people's houses. So my, my parents would have all their friends over and we'd refer to my parents' friends colloquially as aunties and uncles, right? Yes. So that doesn't, you're not related by blood, but they're related by a bond of immigration experience. And, you know, in, in certain communities, especially in solar communities, a lot of my Jewish and Italian friends say the same thing, where like the parents' friends, depending on where they fall on the friend spectrum, like they are so nosy asking you all sorts of questions. Like what grades did you get? What are your plans for the future? How much money do you make? Who are you know, like all of that? Because, <laughs> because they, it's not out of nosiness. You realize as an adult, it's out of like this shared sense of community that comes from the perspective of, we look out for each other and we right. make sure everyone's kids are okay. But you're, 15 years old, you don't fucking understand that. You're just like, get off my back, right? <laughs> so my parents would have all their friends over and there was always this one auntie who would ask all the kids what they wanted to do after high school. And her name was uh, Pushpa Auntie, P-U-S-H-P-A. Mm -hmm. And Pushpa Auntie, uh, she was always very, uh, very soft-spoken. Um, and in the Gujarati language, which is a West... Uh, Western Indian language, a lot of times there's a, um, there's a, a sort of, I, I don't know if you call it a sub-dialect, but there's a sort of a speech thing where I would say maybe like 30% of people, instead of saying Pushpa, the SH is inverted into just an S. So it's Puspa. Puspa. Like Puspa, right? Uh -huh. And because Pushpa auntie uh, was so um, quiet or reserved, her nickname with her friends was Pushy pushy auntie because she's not pushy at all. Right. right. But 30% of people would pronounce pushy auntie as pussy auntie. <laughs> so we'd be like 14 <laughs> years old and some auntie would yell, kids come downstairs, pussy auntie's pulling up. <laughs> and so all the kids would have to march downstairs laughing our asses off. The aunties are wondering why everyone's laughing. Some of the uncles were like, we know why you're laughing. <laughs> and then pussy auntie would come, come in and she's, she was always very lovely and wonderful. But at a certain point throughout the night, pussy uh -huh. auntie would sit all the kids down uh -huh. and she would say, what does everyone want to be when they grow up? And 
without fail, you know, a lot of people were genuinely interested in the sciences because their parents were interested in the sciences. So right. it was like some kid who's like, I want to go to Princeton for pre-med. Someone else is like, I'm going to go to engineering school at BU. And it would get to me and I would say, I, I really want to be a filmmaker and an actor and I'd love to go to UCLA or NYU. And it was as if like out of a movie, you could hear like the record scratch, pin drop, pussy auntie looks at you like you're insane. <laughs> and so the, the real the real coming out story in a community like that is going against the grain yep. professionally. Uh, and uh, and thank, thank God for all the proverbial pussy aunties out there because <laughs> they make you stronger to take on the world. If you can't <gasps> handle the pressure from the aunties and uncles, you definitely can't handle the pressure of like the Van Wilder. <gasps> When if you a, can't handle the pussy pressure, if right? You can't handle the pussy pressure. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna make. I'm with my nephews right now. I'm gonna. T- I'm going to demand they all call me pussy auntie from here on. <laughs> How old are they? You should, by the way. Seven, five, and three. <laughs> oh, okay. So very innocently they will. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say if they're like sixteen, I'll show you the pages in the book where I introduce <sighs> pussy auntie. I wanna. Can we hang out with pussy auntie? I'm like, she's, what a vibe. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So, um, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you, Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and on everything really. So when is the wedding? I'm going to be, I'm going to be pussy auntie right now. Yeah, now you're going, exa- I'm I was pride. just going to say, yeah. you're like, you're being, you're being like pussy auntie. So we, it's funny. We, we actually got engaged like three and a half years ago. I know in the, again, in the book, it, it, the sort of journalistic positioning was like, Oh, it's a big announcement. We got engaged like three and a half years ago and then uh, COVID hit. So obviously we're like, all right, there's yeah. no wedding planning happening right now. Uh, and I think like a lot of people like, oh, once everybody gets vaccinated, we'll just plan the wedding again. I'm like, well, no, now it's still here. And, you know, my parents are in their 70s. A lot of relatives are older. So no plans right now. I assume it'll be, you know, next summer or something once hopefully totally. cases even out. Maybe early spring so you can have it outside and yep. be a little we, safer for everyone. We got married in 2021. So we're coming up oh, on our one did. year anniversary. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when, oh my God, it is my anniversary when this comes out. Literally. Awesome. Happy anniversary. Yes, happy anniversary. A year. And the world is on fucking fire, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, let me look. Oh, wait, I lied. I, I lied, but it's, oh, but it's around the corner. It's around the corner. Okay, all right. um, but we had, a, we had a 25 person wedding because though, real yeah. talk, we weren't in such a rush to get married because I'm a bitch that loves to be engaged. I think yeah. being engaged is the best thing. I'm so jealous. Uh-huh. Three and a half years is like a dream. But um, I was like, I just want an excuse to only have 25 people at my wedding because it's cheaper oh, yeah. and I am cheap. Th- th- this is a, uh, you know, Josh wants a small wedding and yes. I'm like, I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, you know how many huge, massive Indian weddings I've been to? You don't want, no, don't want that one. Just a very tiny wedding. And I kind of don't mind that, you know, like just very intimate, very small, yep. just a little bit of family. But then the party is where you like, right. you do a party after that. So that's sort of what I'm referring yes. to with the, when are you actually getting married? I'm like, Got to do like a big outdoor party. The spring's probably a good time, something like that. Well, my best friend growing up, her dad was from India. so And so they actually, her whole family invites us to cousins' weddings in India mm-hmm. all the time because like that is, for people that don't know, like literally in India, I mean, there can be... Th- like a thousand people at a wedding. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's like a free for all. It's like, oh, it's it's almost like the equivalent in America of like somebody's having like a really upscale frat party. And they're like, just invite your friend and your roommate. And if your it's, cousin's in town, it's cool. Yeah, it's very much a a, a joining of families and it. a community event. It's it's old school. It's funny you described it that way because it, it reminds me of, um, what's what are the two? There's like two shows. So any... Any like classic, probably circa 70s, 80s, like Italian movies that have just massive, awesome, huge extended family weddings, very reminiscent of what that is, where like it is truly a joining of like the the two dads of the bride and groom have a separate conversation. They always have like two separate scenes in this movie about what it means that they're joining families. You see it in like old um old golden girls like Sophia talking about like back in the day, arranged marriages and what that was like for families. So it's uh, culturally, it's very, it's very similar. And then obviously, you know, immigrant communities, it's like, it's still like, yeah, huge, massive wedding with a lot of amazing food and dancing that goes multiple days. I I remember when, (laughs) when my brother got married, I was on a, I was working on a show in LA and uh, one of the uh, 
one of the weird things about being an actor is you, you can't take elective days off. Right. So, so you, you can ask them to maybe write you out of a scene on a particular day, but, um, they usually won't. And so I had said, you know, months in advance, Hey, my brother's getting married. Um, and I'd love to be able to be there. And they said, well, what day is the wedding? I was like, Oh, well, it's from this Wednesday to the following Tuesday. They're like, right. Yeah. But which I, we understand that's how much time you want off, but what day is the actual wedding? I was like, right. So it's a big Indian wedding. So it's not actually one day. Right. It's just multiple days. So like, well, which day is the most important? I was like, it doesn't work that way. It's just the whole thing's the wedding. Like, well, obviously <laughs> you're not getting six days off. I'm like, no, I understand that. I'm just telling you that's the whole wedding. Like, right. so what do you want us to do here? So basically I ended up getting no days off in the end. And I, I, I flew out on a red eye from LA to New Jersey on a Friday. So I got in Saturday morning, went to like a Saturday and a half Sunday portion, and then went back to work Sunday night to, to, to work Monday morning. It was very funny. But so th the reason I always tell that story is obviously not the like, Oh, poor you, you couldn't, you couldn't fly cross country for six days. It was more of like, Oh, it's so funny. There isn't even a singular day right. Right. <laughs> of, of a wedding. Right. It's just a big, massive uh, thing. I have something important to say. Okay, guys, here's the deal. Gaps in the diet, they should not be ignored. These stats are nuts, so hold on to your panties, ladies. Over 97% of women ages 19 to 50, we're not getting enough vitamin D from our diets. Yup. And 95% are not getting the recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. So Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 plus. It's formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual did not stop there. No, no, no. They invested in a gold standard, universally led clinical trial to prove the impact of essential for women 18 plus multivitamin. The results, Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. The clinical study was published in leading scientific journal, Frontiers Nation. And you just got to understand, a published clinical study is a big deal and a serious commitment to a first-of-its-kind standard in the industry. Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the non-GMO project, traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clear communication. No shady stuff. That's why I like Ritual. I don't like shady mofos. And Ritual, they aren't. And the thing too is there's so many multivitamins on the market. It's like, well, which one do I choose? What's right for me? But Ritual is so transparent. It's like, you know, you're getting the goody goods. And Ritual just released Symbiotic Plus. It's a gut health supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic all in one mint capsule. And just one delayed release Symbiotic Plus capsule per day supports your gut with all the quality and traceability that you'd expect from Ritual. Right now, Ritual's offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash Taylor and turn healthy habits into a ritual. See what I did there? How cute am I? Again, guys, that's 10% off at ritual.com slash T-A-Y-L-O-R, ritual.com slash Taylor. Speaking of acting, you pivot yeah. from acting and writing and the whole Hollywood thing, and you find yourself working with Obama, quite frankly, getting Obama elected into office. So how are Hollywood and like the political world, DC, if you will, similar and how are they different? I, there's this like, I, I don't know who said this, but people have said like, like politics is for people who are like, um, have all the aspirations of actors, but like they're, I don't know. I think it's, they're less beautiful or something. I think is like they're, the horrible thing is that people say, I'm not saying I've I, heard this phrase. No, yes. I'm, I'm glad you introduced it. Cause I can't ever introduce it without making it sound like I had a role to play in make, making this up. I first heard this, way back in the day on like uh, some trip to DC, like well before I worked or lived there. And they said, Oh, welcome to DC. It's Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> like, I, what a, I tried to dance around. Saying I was like, like, what that. a terrible thing to say. How are you going to say that? <laughs> like, how are you going to say that? Also, you know how many problems and shitty people there are in DC? I can assure all of you, the problems you have have nothing to do with appearance. <laughs> they, have, they have to do with a lack of ethics. <laughs> 
oh, and the lack literally. of intelligence. My goodness. Literally. Uh, so, but it's a funny phrase, obviously. It is, it, it is. But so, I, I mean, is it true? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I always tried to keep the worlds a little separate. And I, I think for, especially for your listeners who aren't familiar with with my journey. And obviously I like, I spell it out in a lot more detail in the, in the book, but I never had any desire to work in, in government or to, to work for, a uh, an elected official. I should mm-hmm. say I was going to grad school, uh, for international security, which is something the nerdy part of my brain just wanted to do. I never like, while I was doing it, I never, you know, tweeted about it or anything like that. I just thought this was a fun thing to do on the side because I had a passion for it. And there was a program where uh, you could do most of it as a distance learning student anyway. So I was able to work while I was doing that on the side. Um, and uh, I was on the TV show House at the yep. time. This is in 2007. Uh, and my uh, coworker, the amazing Olivia Wilde, yep. uh, she came over to me one day and she goes, hey, um, next week I have a plus one to this Barack Obama campaign event. You want to come? And I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and she was like, come on, why don't you just come with me? I have a plus one. He's like, he's, you know, he's down 30 points in the polls against Hillary Clinton and John Edwards. I'm like, yeah, I know. I have no desire. Yeah. Like a campaign event. Come on. She goes, well, I saw you reading his book. I'm like, yeah, I read lots of, I read a book about Dick Cheney. It doesn't mean that I'm like suddenly a Dick <laughs> Cheney fan. You know, I just like to read, especially people who I may disagree with. So, uh, she kept going back and forth and she's like, look, it's a 50 person event for a bunch of artists. And Obama is essentially going to ask these artists to help him campaign in the early States, Iowa and New Hampshire and places like that. October, 2007. I was like, no. And I think her final pitch was like, it's an open bar. I'm like, sweet. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and that was kind of the, uh, there's, there's a longer kind of, uh, entry point to the story, but I, I ended up going with Olivia and having the chance to talk to the then junior Senator from Illinois about something climate change related that I was a big nerd about. Um, and I decided along with Olivia and, uh, and, uh, Kanwake, fantastic actor and Tatiana Ali, the four of us were four of the hundred people in that room. The only four who I guess, that day signed up to say, sure, I'll give you two days of my time and help you campaign in Iowa. Um, and then I went to Iowa, the four of us went to Iowa, uh, for what was supposed to be the short weekend of campaigning. And I was really floored by what I saw there. So this was an underdog campaign. I know it's tough now to look back and say, what do you mean an underdog campaign? Right? Like, but truly Obama was a political outsider among his own party. And certainly in a place like Iowa, most people were like, oh, who's the black dude with big ears and a funny name? How do you right. say his name? So uh, so we show up in Des Moines. And the thing that I remember the most from the beginning was um, I, I met a few people on the Obama staff and the two that stick out. And there were hundreds like this. Um, I meet a guy who is brown like me. Yeah. His name is Rohan Patel. And I was like, hey, man, what do you do for Senator Obama? And he goes, oh, I'm the rural and agricultural outreach person. I'm like, what? What do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I'm in charge of outreach to farmers and rural rural and agricultural communities. And I thought he was joking. So I'm like, I took enough poli-sci classes to know that if you're running for office in a 97% white state, the identity politics generally say, don't hire a brown dude to do your rural outreach. Mm-hmm. So then I asked a few other people, is that dude for real? Like, why would Obama appoint this guy to do rural outreach. And the answer was consistently the same. It's like, oh, Rohan is the best person for the job. And so Obama was just like, I believe that no matter what somebody's skin color is, we just, we want to be, we don't want to be pandered to. And so he's like, I think that Rohan is the best, most capable person for reaching out to rural voters on my behalf. And he turned out to be right. There was a dude I met who uh, was a Marine And his two jobs on the campaign in Iowa were he was the head of military outreach and he was the head of LGBTQIA outreach. And the reason for that, straight Marine, and the reason for that was don't ask, don't tell was still uh, the rule. Yeah. Yeah. And Obama wanted to repeal it legislatively. And so he thought there should be one person doing outreach to both communities because I want to signify how important that is for me. I don't want to pander to anybody. I really want to work on a solution. So I show up to Iowa and I was like, what is all this nonsense? Like this is the most diverse place I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And it's in the middle of it's this office in the middle of Des Moines. Like, is this for real? And I kind of got hooked and said, I, I would love to continue coming back to volunteer and to help. And Anytime you start with a small campaign, whether it's a presidential campaign like that or something in your local school board or city council, 
if you start early, you really have a chance to get to know the candidate and the senior advisors. And so I was working on, uh, he had an arts policy committee working on arts education, cultural diplomacy, ironically, things that I was studying when I was uh, in that grad program to begin with. And and so one thing leads to another, and I, I had the chance to to serve our country. And it was, I, I don't want to sound hokey, but it, it truly was an honor, you know? Oh, I mean, you got to work with the best, the best. I miss you so much. <laughs> and here we are today. Do, do, do you ever run for office yourself? No, I don't think I have that skill set. You're like, no, me. I'm too attractive. <laughs> oh my gosh, not at all. There's some there's some hotties in office now. <laughs> no, there are. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I would I would certainly love to be considered uh, for an uh, an appointed position again. I. I uh, you know, one of my dream jobs, uh, I always viewed it as in retirement, but who knows these days, I, I'd love to be an ambassador at some point. I think being able to use your, uh, the you know, an arts knowledge, a cultural diplomacy knowledge and a background to, to better the people to people relations between countries is a very cool and important thing that we should be doing more of. So, but in terms of running for office, no, I don't, I, I love helping friends who are running and doing the right thing, but it's not, it's not in me. Well, can somebody, anybody, just run for office? <laughs> like, Apparently, yes. Well, actually, good point. <laughs> like when Kim Kardashian, there was like whatever, whether it was a rumor or I was taken out of context, but like the idea of maybe her running for office, I'm I'm there almost. You know, like I'm actually Skims is a great company. I love their shapewear. <laughs> it's comfortable. This episode of Taste of Taylor is brought to you by Smooge. I love the name. I honestly love saying it smooge. Anyway, I don't just love saying it. I also love drinking it because smooge is combining my two favorite things. A smoothie. Who doesn't love a smoothie? And alcohol. They're hard smoothies. Yeah. As in adult smoothies. And they're delicious. And they are packed with real fruit and just a hint of carbonation. I love carbonation. I add like a little seltzer spritzy vibe to all of my beverage halls. So um, the fact that Smooge just like does it for me, they really understand your girl. So in case I haven't explained this enough, it is an adult smoothie in a can, which I love the convenience of it because they ship it right to your house. And they've got three to die flavors. They've got a pina colada. Who doesn't love a pina colada? And they get a strawberry and banana smoothie. So it's kind of like a strawberry daiquiri meets a banana daiquiri. And when I'm getting a daiquiri, I'm like, I can't pick which daiquiri I want. Is it banana? Is it strawberry? I usually combine smooch. They just understand that about me. And that's why I like them. And then they have the tropical trip. <laughs> Are you ready for all of the fruit they pack into this hard smoothie? They've got some passion fruit, all real, real passion fruit, real mango, her favorite, guava, pineapple, and coconut. Yes, please. Here's the thing with Smooch too. I rarely treat myself to like one of these like fun pool beach vacay drinks. But because Smooch is using like real fruit, I let myself like guiltlessly indulge in these vacation-y vibe drinks. And they're so convenient. Like you think I'm going to pull the blender out and get like all of the ingredients to make a daiquiri? No. Smooch does it for me. I don't have to anymore. And they're gluten-free, dairy-free, and they're vegan. And this is the thing, guys, with Smooch. They're delicious and they're delightful and fun, but they just really have simple, good ingredients. There's no fake flavorings and no like ambiguous natural flavors listed. The point is it tastes naughty, but it's not. So visit drinksmooge.com. That's drink, S-M-O-O-J.com to find Smooge near you. Or you can just use code Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R to get 15% off an entire box of hard smoothies shipped straight to your doorstep. I love convenience. I mean, do whatever you want. I recommend going to their website and using my code and getting the 15% off. Just saying, again, drinksmooge.com and my code T-A-Y-L-O-R. Friendly reminder that you must be over 21 to enjoy Smooge. And now back to the podcast. I've talked a little bit about this on the show. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have you on because you are, I don't really have a lot of people with political savvy popping sure, on uh, Taste of Taylor all the time. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this moment to pick your brain a little bit, especially because, you know, you are queer. I am queer. We are yeah. LGBTQIA plus community members. 
the state of the government's really scary right now. And with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, I remember thinking this, that's never going to happen. That's like some people talk about it's not going to happen. Well, it did. So now the reversal of gay marriage feels like it's next on the chopping block. At least that's how yeah. I feel. So yeah. my question to you is, do you feel like that our rights are one, who knows, one step away from being taken away from us on a federal level? Are you worried about it? Um, and if so, like how much do you think it's going to change our lives? Yeah, I am worried about it. And I think it will change lives. Look at what happened with Roe v. Wade. I think it's important to remember uh, amidst all the noise, right? You hear a lot of people say, um, and even a lot of uh, a lot of people are not necessarily politically affiliated. Mm -hmm. They'll see some of the tenor around the way Trump speaks or used to speak. And they would say, oh, man, I miss George Bush. He doesn't seem so bad, right? Yeah. Reagan, both Bushes, Trump, they all have the same policy proposals. Hmm. So we shouldn't get caught up in pretending that somebody like a Trump is not espousing the same views as somebody like Ronald Reagan or George Bush. They all wanted to repeal Roe v. Wade. They all promised to repeal Roe v. Wade. Trump just happened to be successful at doing it. Mm -hmm. because he got those Supreme Court seats. But all of right. them promised, if we get elected, we don't want uh, a woman to be able to make choices about healthcare in her own body. I mean, that was, that's, their, that's their whole this platform. This has been a plan in the so, making for about, what, 40 years, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, and so the shock that we have, obviously we have it for, for good reason, but when people tell you over a period of decades what they stand for and what they believe, believe them. You know, believe that that's what they mean. And we're we're at that point again now when it comes to something like marriage equality. I think that that bill that's before the Senate um, that the House voted on, you know, it doesn't just include provisions on uh, LGBTQIA marriage equality. It's also interracial relationships that it would codify. Right. Mm -hmm. And we forget that. So the the point that folks are at now, I think, and I, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not working on any of these bills. Yeah. I'm not working on outreach around it. So I have to be very clear with that, that there are far more qualified people who are, whose jobs day to day are to work on outreach around stuff like this. But um, it's twofold. There's always a time for protest and agitation. Mm -hmm. And that builds public support. It gets cameras out onto the streets to cover things. And there's a value to that. There's also a value to picking up the phone, reaching out to members of Congress or senators in particular states. So if you have family members who live in these Republican states with Republican senators who are on the fence or who have said that they wouldn't support such a such a measure, um, encouraging family members to be like, look, I know, and, and family members across the aisle too, right? Like, hey, you said that you don't give a shit that, you know, that, that my partner and I are together. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that tacit thumbs up, right? Whatever that looks like. I appreciate that. You know, that, I, I don't really give a shit. I, <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks so I, much. I need your help. Support. I need your help in making sure that everybody doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which means that they have to vote yes on making sure that if things like equality are codified. So it's crazy, but there, there's a, a lot of very quick work to be done to see if that can, can, can be a, a, a thing that, can be codified into law, but of course it's worrisome. Um, and it's worth my, the bigger worry too, um, uh, uh, just like with Roe v. Wade is the people who this is going to impact the most are going to tend to be lower income communities of color. Right. Yeah. So somebody who is, um, who has the means to draw up a contract between two adults that will give you power of attorney and all of the things that are necessary. So that if God forbid you're in a, red state that doesn't recognize your marriage and you get into a car accident that you can still be there to make those life and death decisions for your partner. Right. Um, there are ways to do that, but who the fuck gets to take advantage of that? The very wealthiest, yep. most connected people who know how to do that paperwork. That's not right. And that's not fair. And that's really worrisome that the people who are going to uh, be hurt the most by this are, are, are those communities. Absolutely. We're coming to the end and to come full circle. I started asking you about your coming out story and oh, yeah. you beautifully went into telling your, your weed story. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask you before I let you go, yeah. what was like your worst experience smoking weed? And what went down? Oh my God. <laughs> Cause what I, a I'm a fellow, like I love to drink. Like yeah. I, I like the idea of weed. I'm here for weed for everybody. You know, sure. I don't give a shit about your weed smoking. You live your best life, sure, um, sure. but I'm not good at it. And it makes me, yeah. it really hurts my feelings. It makes me really yeah. sad, but like, I bug the fuck out. So yeah. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll, I will, uh, I won't name names, but I'll, the actual probably craziest one was there was a, uh, there was a project I'm going to, I'm going to combine two stories because they were back to back. So no, you know what? I'll just, I'll tell you it was <laughs> when we were shooting. It's not even a, it's a drug story. It's not even a weed story, but when we were shooting Harold and Camargo to white castle, uh-huh. you know, there's a, there's a scene where um, I'm, I'm like naked in the opening scene. Right. Yes. And so I, and it was the, the first huge real movie where I wasn't doing something hokey, no disrespect to Van Wilder. I loved it. But yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I was working out, I was on this weird diet where you like chug all this water and, and you're eating like small portions five times a day. Cause it's good for your metabolism and all right. that. Right. Cause you're naked. You like want to look right. as good as you can. Right. And so what that meant was basically every 15 minutes, I would run to my trailer and take a piss and then come back to set. So I would wait for whenever they were like relighting something or moving the camera and I had 90 seconds, I would disappear and come back. So the second week of the movie, uh, one of the assistant directors knocks on my trailer door and he go, he, he starts touching his nose and he's touching his nose. He's tapping his nose while he says the following, Hey man, just want to make sure you're good. And I said, yeah, I'm good. Starts tapping his nose again. He goes, because if you ever need anything, you know, just let me know. I was like, cool. And I still have no idea what he's referring to. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And he goes, well, because, you know, I notice you disappear a lot. And I can tell you always come back really energized and ready to work. And so he's t- tapping his nose. And he's like, so if you ever need anything, you know, if you ever run out or whatever, just let me know. And I said, run out of what? And then I realized he's basically telling me if I run out of cocaine, yes. to come to him. I was like, Oh, I don't, I've never done Coke in my life, but thank you. And then, and then I got mad. And then I was like, I'm like, first of all, he know he like, he knows I can't possibly be going to smoke weed because I'm too alert. when I come back. But number two, what is this? This is how, this is how people enable actors and musicians into having drug addictions For, from his perspective. He's like, my job is to make sure the actors are on set on time and ready to go so we can make our days. And his solution to that was let me get them more drugs. If, if they're doing drugs, I was like, this is a nightmare. Welcome to Hollywood. Welcome so, to Hollywood. Right. So my biggest weed story is actually, not of me it's of somebody knowing that i wasn't smoking weed and worse thinking i was doing bumps of coke like every 15 minutes in my trailer <sighs> i was like wow what a world what a oh, world yeah. everyone <laughs> thinks i'm on meth and they're correct no, i'm just kidding <laughs> but uh no when you're high energy people really uh yeah. Think that you're on cocaine. Yeah, yeah. So that's, right. that's right. I understand it. Cal, this has been such a time. Thank you so much for joining really me. Really fun. Thank you, Taylor. I appreciate it. Uh, and you guys, don't forget, Cal's book is out in paperback now. August 9th, it came out, so you can go anywhere you can get books. And it's called You Can't Be Serious, and it's fantastic. So highly Thank recommend you. And it. I, I read the audiobook myself, too, so if you're more of an audiobook person. I love uh, an audiobook. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll fall asleep with you in my ear. Perfect. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you, you can be with me all day long. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll just listen to it over and over and over again. Loves it. Uh, Cal, thank you uh, so thank much. Thank you, Taylor. I appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It means the world to her. And uh, yeah, until next week, bye, girl, bye. <laughs>